Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. And I'd like to welcome Joel to the stage, who has flown in from round the corner. <laughs> Actually, he's flown back from... Well, I think he'll probably tell you himself where he's flown back from. He's sporting a tan, which is not from Whitstable. Thanks. Um, I wish I had flown, because the French rail were on strike, so I went on a coach. <laughs> Both ways. That was nice. Uh, <laughs> good. Right. Well, uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Keely. Uh, I'm very honoured. This is my first time ever preaching in a vineyard church. Uh, so... If you're new here, we became a vineyard church last week, so that's a terrible joke. But uh, <coughs> anyway, there we are. Right. So, uh, a couple of questions for you today. Uh, have I got my thing? Yes, hurrah. We're continuing our series on living differently, studies in First Peter. Um, so, uh, what I'd like to do is ask you the question, are you at the moment sitting comfortably? Well, if you are at the end of this talk today, I have failed. <laughs> because we do not serve a safe God. We serve a powerful God, and as Darling already alluded to today, today is Pentecost, which is the celebration of the first time that the, uh, the Holy Spirit, one of the persons of the Trinity, God himself, fell in power on the disciples of Jesus after Jesus' death, and they received not only his presence, but an ability to do things in his power that we weren't able to do before. It's a really great day. Um, we still have that access, and I'm going to put it out there now that at the end of my talk today... If you have not ever received the Holy Spirit, then you are going to get an opportunity. If you have received the Holy Spirit, but things have got a bit, you know, leaky, then you will get an opportunity to be refilled and to, uh, to bow the knee once more and to just uh, to, to speak and get back into relationship, close relationship, to the end of the time. <laughs> if you are new to church, and I just frightened you with the word spirit, do not worry. This is the presence of our all-loving God, and although it's not safe, and although it is not to be taken lightly, it is also being in relationship with someone who loves you, cares about you, looks after you, and occasionally pushes you places you don't want to go, or maybe not occasionally. (laughs) So that's what's going to happen at the end of this. Anyway, right, okay, let's start with the sermon now. We've had the other mini one. This is what I'd like you to do. This is a health and safety measure. All of you who are able, please place your hand over your eyes. I'm not putting it over my eyes. Now, all the way down so you cannot see. Now, what I want you to do, without conferring and no cheating, I will see if... And the hands are over your eyes so you don't poke the eyes out of the person. That's it. Using the other hand, not the hand... This could be a while. Okay, right. Now, take your hand off your eyes, but keep pointing. Okay, so someone's pointing that way. Quite a few people, the majority of people think it's in this corner over here. Uh, Someone seems to be pointing up the chimney. Okay, you can stop pointing now. Okay, so (laughs) you can all stop pointing. They're still still pointing, thank you. (laughs) It's going to be a great day. Um, So the reason I did that is because I want to explain to you that the reason that we have talks, the reason we read the Bible, is because very often we lose a little bit of our sense of direction with God. Now, if I, was, um, I went away this week, I went to the Alps. The Alps are approximately southwest of here. But when I got on the Eurostar, which went at 170 miles an hour, oof, very exciting if you're a boy like me. But anyway, there we go. Uh, and we didn't crash, it was all good. Um, but when we were heading off in that direction, if that Eurostar had been 
just a few degrees out, instead of getting to Lyon for my connecting train, which was cancelled and bus, I would have probably ended up somewhere like La Rochelle down on the south coast. It doesn't take many degrees out to end up on a journey in the wrong place. And the problem with our spiritual lives is it doesn't take us to be many degrees off for us to end up in the wrong place. So today my, my word to you is, if when I'm talking you realise you're a few degrees off, it's okay, you can just get back on course. Now if you look over there, there's a little glowing orange thing, which is actually a stick. That is due north. I checked it with a compass. Not one of you, as far as I could see, was bang on. And it's so easy in our spiritual life, isn't it, to be just a little bit off. Okay, right, let's crack on before I run out of time again. So today we're going to do this on a Bible study. We're going to look at uh, 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 10. Uh, But there's so much in this short passage that I haven't got time to do it all. So we're going to skip a few bits, but you can go home and read it today in your own time. That's fine. The Bible's not going anywhere. If I just miss a few verses, it's not because they're irrelevant. It's because it's just not what God said to me at the moment. So to start with, uh, the, the beginning of the verse 4 says this. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Now, because we're doing a Bible study, we're going to stop. We've done one verse, we're going to stop. Because this verse assumes that we come to God. Let me ask you a question. Did you manage to spend any time coming to God or seeking after him this week? I'm not saying that to make you feel bad. I'm not saying that to give you a medal if you did well. I'm saying that there's an assumption here. An assumption that we will always come to God. In fact, the Bible's full of it, that we need to go and seek out God. It's not that we can sit in a chair on Sunday and just let a good bit of worship come and then some stuff like that. No, the Bible's really clear. A lot more energy and effort on our part. What's also on display here is this second section. Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. What I love about this, can you see the really intimate relationship between Jesus and and God the Father. It's really intimate. It was chosen by him, precious, words of relationship, intimacy. Today when I'm talking, I want you to remember that everything that we're talking about today is about intimate relationship. Nothing here is about religiosity and doing stuff because it's the right thing to do. All of it is about doing stuff because this is the Father's heart. I love that worship song earlier where it said God was not prepared to just live in heaven without us. We are Nothing special at all. Certainly I'm not. And if no one else listens to this sermon, I need it. So I'm just going to crack on. But the point is this. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He was not prepared to sit by. And let me say your heart response to that should be that you're not prepared to sit by either. God loves you dearly. And although I know what it's like to have a hard heart and sit in the back of the room being grumpy, it doesn't do you any good. Come to God this week. Come to God. So... Um, let me tell you about the, uh, you might remember the Bible story of the, the sheep gate. So um, in the period between uh, the, the last of the prophets and before Jesus came, I think I've told you before, there was a 400 year period where traditionally it's thought that God didn't really interact with Israel, but actually he did. And so one of the things that were going, was going on in Jerusalem at the time was that there was a pool of water at the sheep gate. Now, <clears throat> I've been around sheep, so I'm going to guess this water wasn't too nice, especially if it's near a gate where lots of sheep probably do their droppings. But nonetheless, uh, About once a year, uh, the waters would ripple, and the Bible tells us that an angel was setting the water off, and that whoever got into the water at that point first was healed of their diseases. It's a supernatural miracle left behind by God. Even though Israel had abandoned him, he left a special healing 
uh, area so that people remember that God is powerful. And when Jesus rocked up at this, he looked around and there was a chap there who'd been... uh, who suffered from some kind of unspecified serious illness. And it says that he had been ill for 38 years. And Jesus went up to him and asked the stupidest question that I've ever heard. And he said, do you want to get well? (laughs) And the man must have thought, what on earth? But what he said was, what he said was, well, yeah, but every time I want to get in the water, someone gets in ahead of me. Let me ask you the question, have you, are you positioning yourself next to the water? See, the question from Jesus wasn't really, do you, do you want to get well? The question was probably more like, why didn't you get in the water? You see, he, Jesus knew the answer to the question he was asking. What was he pointing at? He was pointing out that this guy hadn't positioned himself. Well, someone gets close to the water, I'd be sat on the water's edge. I'd be right there. I'd be like, oh, I'm in. I wouldn't be three steps up. If you're three steps up, you're going to get nothing. But so often when we come to church, we're three steps up. We are not positioning ourselves to receive from God. By coming to church, we position ourselves, right? Sometimes when we fall away a bit, we get grumpy, we don't come to church. If you don't come to church, no one's going to pray for you. You're not going to receive a word from someone else. You're not going to get blessed in worship. We know this, and yet we do it. So today I'm asking you, have you been sitting in the pew but never come up the front for prayer? Have you ever really positioned yourself to receive? God expects us to seek him out because it's a heart relationship. You know, if I am, I I love my cats dearly, right? I stroke them. Uh, Sometimes it's reciprocated with some purring and some nuzzling and some, and and I love all that. But other times it's like, will you get off me, right? (laughs) It's not relationship then, is it? It's relationship when we both enjoy it. It's not relationship when it does one out the cat flap, okay? But we are like that. Don't be like the grumpy cat. Position yourself for God. And frankly, I'll be really, really honest with you. If you aren't ready to position yourself for God, if you didn't come here today and you're not hearing my voice and you're not saying, oh, you know, then you might as well go home. And I don't mean that in a harsh way, but I mean there's no point being here if you didn't come to meet God. Because it's the most exciting thing that can happen to you today by a country mile So position yourself today. At the end of the day, come and get some prayer if you know you need it. And that's probably all of us. Right, okay. So moving on, we've only done one verse, we're going to be a while. Uh, So the verse continues. So God God was uh, precious to him. And then it talks to us. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. So here's a picture. We're having a word picture all of a sudden. God is saying, you lot are like a house. Not that you're, you're tough and sort of red and kind of grainy like bricks, but you are a spiritual house. So I ask myself when I read this, and this is, uh, by the way, if, you've, if you're new to Bible reading, then this is uh, a really great way of, uh, of learning to read the scriptures. So look at a verse and then stop and have a little think. So that's what I did. I was on the coach, I stopped and had a little thought. So what does a house do? Why is God giving us this word picture? So the word picture is like this. The primary role for the house is to protect us from the harsh elements, the storms of life. That is the primary role of a house. The secondary role is security. It keeps us from getting hurt. The next role is, gives us somewhere to receive nourishment, to have a meal. You know, we all tried eating outside in the summer when we think it was just about warm enough, and then we all froze, didn't we? So we went back in the house. It was a place of rest. We can go to sleep 
in the safe knowledge that we're inside a house and we're, we're okay there. It's a place for family and social interaction, encouragement and fun. And finally, uh, it's a place where we can work and we can serve. You know, we prepare the dinner, we do the cleaning. It's all of those things. So God is giving us an amazing word picture of what we, as a group of people, are like. We are like a house. Every single one of those aspects should be present in any church and also in our homes. So the, the next verse continues. 5b. So it says... You are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, the word holy's popped in there. Uh, I'm not going to reiterate that because Chris Waters did a great job last week. I nearly came dressed as a banana today, Chris, but I thought uh, I might be a bit much. If you haven't heard that, get on the podcast, rewind, listen. It's a great talk and uh, God will speak to you. And if you're listening today by, on, on the podcast, uh, then every word that comes into the uh, auditorium today, every word that's been spoken is just as valid for you as it is for anyone who's sat here in front of me now. So we know what holy means, so we need to look at priesthood. So again, we've stopped on this verse, we're having a little study. I decided to get the dictionary out. Priesthood. So Webster's Dictionary defines priesthood as this. A priest mediates between a deity and a man. It's standing in the gap. Now, we know, because we're Christians, that we have a high priest who's done all the relevant standing in the gap that's ever going to be needed for salvation. And yet, as we saw in the royal wedding yesterday, there were a lot of people who've never heard the gospel message. They pulled funny faces. They tried to hide it under their hats. <laughs> Princess usually be like this. It's like a guppy. <laughs> a royal guppy. But I tell you what, people haven't heard. And although salvation is done and there's no need, and if you're new to church today, God has paid the price to swap our sin for his new life. If you want to know more about that, talk to any of the leaders or anyone really who's been to church for a while. It's an amazing fact and we need to tell you about it. But I haven't got time right now. So, a priest stands between a deity and a man. So how do we stand in the gap? Well, isn't it great? Because God has left a bit of room in the work that he's doing to bring people into salvation to us because we are co-workers with God. And so this is the bit where we can stand in the gap. So let's talk about sacrifice. So a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Cambridge Dictionary says this, a sacrifice is to give up something that is valuable in order to help another person. I love that definition. That definition should have been in the Bible, but I don't know. Who am I to say that? But anyway, that is a great definition. If you don't understand what God is calling to you, he's calling you to stand in the gap and to make a sacrifice. We're not sacrificing for salvation. That's been done. We're sacrificing something precious to us to bring people to know about God. Uh, Paul described uh, his Gentile converts, the people that weren't Jewish at the time, that he'd spoken the message to, that he'd... um, that had received the message of the gospel and, and, and given their life to Jesus as an offering acceptable to God. But I want to be really clear, this is not about numbers. This is not some spiritual collection, stamp collection stickers. This is about God's heart. And 1 Corinthians, which we've talked about many times in the past, really reminds us that any kind of sacrifice is only acceptable if it comes from a heart of love. So we tell our neighbours about the amazing story of Jesus about the things that he does for us, but we do it in love. We don't do it to collect people or make numbers. That is completely wrong. Okay, right, so 
So the next thing I'm thinking to myself is in this passage, sacrifice. Okay, all right, I'm not sure. That's a little bit confusing. So I like to do be a bit practical in my, my, my talking. So I've given you this. This is a doormat. Now, turn your head upside down and read it the other way up. It says, come in this way round and go away if you spin it round. And if I'm really honest, folks, sometimes our lives are a bit like this. We're not sure this morning which way round our doormat is, whether you're saying come in or go away. So I want to use the mat... Uh, as, as a word picture, the M-A-T, to show us what we should be like um, when we are making sure that our lives are an open invitation to people to come and meet Jesus. Um, today's topic is people of light. Um, and so I thought it was really relevant to just quickly stop there and have a little uh, a moment because sometimes when we say light, and there was a lot of talk about fire and light during the sermon yesterday, and it can be a bit ethereal for people. So I thought I'd make it a little more clear if I can. Matthew 5, Jesus was talking about people who follow him and he described them as salt and light. So again, I thought, right, on the coach, let's work out. Salt, what does salt do? Salt preserves, salt keeps, salt flavours. Folks, do we preserve the people around us? In our workplace, when I take my handover, I walk in and then the team that's on before me give my handover, right? If the handover is rubbish, I'm going to say 55% of the time, do I graciously preserve their dignity by going, yeah, oh, God, I wish you'd done that. And just go, right, we'll just crack on, we'll just do it. Or do I give them a hard time and go, well, why haven't you done that? Oh, come on, what about that? Well, let me be honest with you. I tend to do that, not this. But God spoke to me about this and said, no, you need to start being a preserver of people's dignity, a preserver of uh, people's hearts so that they know that you care about them. So he salt preserves, it keeps it flavours. And light a flavour. Mm. Let's stop on that a minute. What do you taste like to people at your home, at your work? I don't mean actually... Don't, look, don't, look, they're licking themselves. I don't mean lick yourselves. I mean what, what taste is left in people's mouths after an interaction with you? Okay, so that's salt. Here's light. Light guides us. We can't see humans. Cats, very good at it. Humans, terrible, seeing in the dark, bump into things. I quite often have to get into bed late because of my shift and stuff like that, and I'm creeping around the bedroom, trying not to wake my wife up, but anything that has been moved in the room, and I mean even by a couple of centimetres, and there'll be a crashing and a banging noise because I cannot see in the dark. And then there'll be... Anyway. (laughs) Then there'll be a a movement and an unhappiness. Um, (laughs) Light quickens. It's the fastest thing. Fastest thing in our universe. Nothing is faster than the speed of light. Those of you who are familiar with some aspects of physics might know that if you can go faster than light, you would go back in time. I'm sure God can manage that, no trouble at all, but we can't, and neither can anything else in the known universe. But light quickens. Are we quickening people? And what do I mean by that? I mean, are we bringing a bit of life into them? Or it nourishes, we've talked about that already, and oddly it disinfects. Did you know that? A lot of, a lot of germs are just killed by being in daylight. So if you put something out in the sunshine, it kills a lot of them. So just, just thinking about what Jesus was saying when he said, you'd be salt and light. Suddenly it's a whole wide range of stuff that we ought to be. Uh, Aesop, who was a contemporary of Daniel, said this. He said, no act of kindness, no matter how small, is ever wasted. So today I want you to put out the welcome mat. Um, so M for Matt. Let's meet people's material needs. This is a super church in Texas, so they can do more than we can because they have greater finances. But the point is the same. They thought about doing an advertising campaign, and this is May this year, 
And then they said, no, let's not do an advertising campaign, which is going to cost them £10 million, big flashy posters everywhere. Let's pay off people's medical debt. And as you probably know, in America, there's no NHS. You have to pay for your own medical treatment. So they went around finding people who were in need and who were seriously in debt because they'd been ill and paying off their debts. Let me ask you, which was a better advertising campaign? If you earn, as a household, £26,481 a year, you are in the top 1% of earners in the world. Not the rich people we saw on Teddy yesterday. 26,000. And if you don't earn that and you're on the basic uh, state salary or you are in the top 10% of earners, even if you just get, uh, what do they call it, it's DSS or whatever they call it these days, it's quite shocking, isn't it? Meet people's material needs. How many times do we do that thing where we say, oh, we see someone with a material need, we're like, oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I should do that. I'm not sure I should help them. I'm not sure if I should maybe buy them that washing machine or, or just any of that. Let me give you a really easy hint. If you can meet their need, don't pray for it to be met. Just meet it. You don't even need to ask God. I'm going to go that far and say that God expects us to use an element of common sense. If you can see a need and you can meet it, you should do it. End of. Good. Don't cover that. Right. Uh, on my coach journey back from the Alps this week, I saw a woman walking down a random French town that I don't know, wearing this exact T-shirt. And it said this, I never liked you. Now, I thought, I don't know if she speaks English. I wonder if she even knows what that T-shirt means. But it's not a very friendly way to meet people on the high street, is it, really? So the second letter in my MAT, Matt, is this, acceptance. And do you know what? This T-shirt is worn by most people in the world that I've ever met. They say one in ten people really don't like you for no apparent reason. Say there's 250 people in the room today, 25 of you can't stand me. Fair enough. (laughs) Can't fault you for that. But my point is this. We shouldn't, as people of light, Christians of the world, be wearing this T-shirt ever. This T-shirt should not be on. This T-shirt should not be in our collection. And there are two ways that we give people acceptance. The first way is uh, in what we say. Um, sometimes when you preach God tells you to tell a story and you think I don't want to tell this story thanks Lord it makes me look rubbish and it's a bit uncomfortable so here's a story for you when we were back in the old church uh, I was in the back room and uh, I used to have a bit of a thing where I was uh, I'm quite a bantry person and and God's calling me to stop that and I said to a couple of the lads uh, who maybe are my peers I made a bit of a joke because there was a special home group meeting for men that started at 6.30 in the morning, and I used to make a joke about how it was holier to be there at 6.30 in the morning. Anyway, uh, one or two people in the front row are smiling because they remember this. Another person who was there called me on it in a really hard way. In fact, they embarrassed me in front of everyone and really put me down. Now, that wasn't right. They should not have done that, but that's not the point. The point is this. Sometimes God uses other people who are right or wrong, or even more than that, people who don't know Jesus at all, and this I really hate, who are much better at being a Christian than I am. In fact, my workplace is full of them. I have people, and recently somebody messed up, and I nearly caught myself rejoicing because I thought this person has been much better Christian than me and doesn't know God at all for about seven years and they've finally done something wrong and I had to really grab my attitude and go, no, do not celebrate that. <laughs> so I stopped and I had a think. And do you know what? If God gets your attention and stops and says, points at something in your life, say thank you. 
because it's hard and it hurts. But don't say, oh, don't get angry. But say thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you've pointed to something in me that's really unacceptable to you. And the truth was that I was jealous. I was jealous, although I had actually been invited to this group, but I'd kind of forgotten. I was jealous of, uh, I guess, the attention that the people in that group got. I, I don't know. There was lots of terrible emotions in me that were really bad that just needed to be dealt with. And God really put it in my heart. And then he said, well, what are you saying to people? You walk into a room, you banter. You're like, oh, what is banter? I'll tell you what banter is. Banter is putting people down to make you look better. And it was my lifestyle. It was my whole thing, really. And they still let me preach, right? (laughs) Maybe not after today. So God really spoke to me and said, stop doing that. It's not funny. The person on the receiving end is not enjoying this. Folks, the Bible says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. We need to take that seriously. So that's our words. Acceptance by words. But also acceptance by actions. In uh, Matthew 7, Jesus said these words, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I'm going to be honest, I don't want that measure. I really don't. Because I can be harsh, hard, pressing, all of those things that the Amplified Bible says that people who uh, use this to describe people who are uh, using unwholesome talk. So I've had to change my ways a bit, and I'm not perfect, and I'm still going to get it wrong, and this is me to you. You now have permission. If I banter and say anything negative, you can call me on it straight off the bat. There's an American preacher, barrister, ministry leader, who pays $500 for every harsh, hard, or critical word he says. (laughs) He likes to go on holiday in Hawaii. Not anymore, I imagine. But anyway. <laughs> so he keeps his mouth shut. Every word. So now I want to do a heart test. I want to see what your reaction is to the following video, which is terrible sound quality, so I apologise to Mark now. And we'll come back to it. When I asked about whether, would you rather live with your mother... She says no. And that seems to be at the heart of so many of these stories. Young children falling out with their parents and they end up on the streets selling their bodies. Before leaving, I'm going to catch up with Candy again. But I'm in for a surprise. On Sundays, she goes to church where she's been a committed evangelical Christian for five years. It's a more reflective and vulnerable side that she's kept well hidden all week. a lo que yo me dedico solamente es un pecado muy fuerte me da vergüenza porque yo soy muy temerosa de Dios constitución do you see any way out of this life? ahí para afuera trabaja con mi mamá después me va a llevar con ella un día por delante todo se va se va a acabar ya 
سنة كده يمشي ماضي تاني At the heart of judgment is this thought. I could do better than them. And that, brothers and sisters, is pride. I am not saying that we condone sin because of its destructive nature in people's lives. And I believe that will be the subject of the next talk in this series. But my point is this. We must not judge as a command from Jesus Our job is love, lift up, enhance, build up, bring people into repentance is the job of the Holy Spirit. It's not our job. Material need, acceptance, and lastly, time. (laughs) Giving time. If you gave 1% of your time to help someone else this week, how many minutes or hours would you have to give? 1.6 hours. Just over one and a half hours. 1% of your week. Add it up, 168 hours in a week. 24 times 7. One and a half hours to help someone else. And you'd only have given 1% of your time. Now, I know you could argue some of that time you're asleep, blah, 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 but you know what I mean. 1% of your time. Time is precious, isn't it? Let me um, talk to you about Jesus when he... Uh, he heard the news that John the Baptist had died, and uh, John the Baptist, probably just called John then, but anyway, he, um, he had been beheaded, executed for his ministry work, and they came and told Jesus. And Jesus was his cousin, but also his closest person on the earth that he, you know, that got what Jesus was about. And so he went off up a mountain for a bit of quiet time. Now, I don't think any of us who received the news of the bereavement of a close friend would think that was a bit unfair. Right? That's perfectly fine to have a bit of time out there, isn't it? That's difficult. But a big crowd followed him, and Jesus had compassion on them, it says, and he stopped and he healed their sick. Jesus gave time. He was an interruptible person. It didn't matter what was going on. You could stop him, as did the woman who touched the back of his hem of his clothes. All over the Bible, if people positioned themselves to come to Jesus by knocking a hole in the roof and dropping themselves down, it didn't matter because Jesus was interruptible. I've had to learn this at work. I can have a queue of seven or eight people coming out of my office door waiting to speak to me. And sometimes my attitude gets grumpier and grumpier and grumpier, especially if they're from another department and I know their boss is hiding somewhere. I have got to learn to be interruptible. And I tell you what, when I walk across the office with my team, I try really hard not to walk past anyone without acknowledging them. Now, I'm just a beginner at this game, right? Jesus had it down. You guys might be much better at me at this. But be interruptible. Give people your time. Show immense patience. I used to have no patience whatsoever. Oh, no, no, Joel, you're, you're fibbing. You must have had some. Uh-uh. Nil point. None whatsoever. Almost nothing wouldn't set me off. If you have a 50% patience level as a gift from God, you better get down on your knees and thank you for him because I tell you what, it's blooming painful to learn patience. And I've had to learn the little I've got from scratch. God gives us gifts differently. This is my particular burden to bear. But if you are an impatient person, then you better realise that this is a serious flipping over of the mat. You are saying, go away 24 hours a day with your impatience. 
Flip it round. Learn to be patient. Hold your tongue. If you need to, go and shut yourself in the loo and bang your head on the back of the toilet door. Not that I've done this. Until you can come out patient. I know another preacher who said she hung on to the the legs of a chair and refused to get off the floor until she could feel herself becoming more patient. It's, It's such an important skill. The time things we give. Immense patience. Being interruptible. Folks, this is what makes us the mat, the welcome mat. And this is what we need to be like. So, I'm running out of time, as usual, so here we go. Right, back on with the Bible study. Skipping a few verses, we're on to nine. So, having said that we're there to give sacrifices, we're a holy priesthood, it says this, verse nine. But you are a chosen people. Not here by accident. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. So here's a great example of what a royal priesthood looks like. This is Prince Harry when he was in the Blues and Royals. He was a captain uh, and he was a fighting soldier in Afghanistan, as most of you know. As you can see, his royal surroundings weren't so great. I don't know about the Christmas hat, but yeah, that's the bed he was sleeping on. I'm guessing that he wasn't that uh, accustomed to sleeping on beds like that. But here's the truth. Yes, he was a captain. Yes, he served. Yes, he took on the trials and tribulations and risks of war. And he he obeyed and took orders. But deep down, he knew he was royal. That one day, there wouldn't be dusty aeroplanes to be getting on. He would be standing in the front of joyous palaces, marrying American film stars, <laughs> being charged around Windsor with horses, being on every front page of every newspaper, probably the whole world today. He was royal. You, ladies and gentlemen, are a royal priesthood. Now it's a bit tough. Now you learn the difficult lessons. Now you obey the orders of maybe your leaders or other people. Now you might live in squalor. But one day, one day you will not. And we must really remember that. We are a royal priesthood. And then lastly, the royal priesthood that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Louis Giglio said this, it's not that we should declare his praises, it's that we may. How confident are you in telling people about the goodness of our God? Does it fill you with dread? But really it needs to be an overflow for our hearts. So when we come to Jesus, when we seek after him, when we spend time in his presence, then it becomes easier, not easy, but easier. But we can do stuff to get ready for this. First of all, we can live a thankful life so that we are regularly listing for ourselves All the great stuff. So when I woke up this morning, I practiced this. I thought, right, toes, legs, arms, eyes, ears, mouth. I can walk to church. I can do this talk. I'm good. Thank you, Lord, for just that. If I just started that, never mind about many, many other things. And you can probably make similar lists. You could do this. You could get your phone out now and you could put yourself in this week a 30-minute appointment to write down your testimony. How many of you have ever written down your testimony? Don't put your hands up because I don't want to see. But well done if you have. My point is this. You can make preparation. This is a special job we've got. A holy royal priesthood, loved by God, chosen by him, but we have a special task to declare his praises. So if you don't do that, you could read a book. You could go to a conference. You could watch YouTube videos. I recommend Ravi Zachariah if you want to get into it. Church leaders, what are we doing to prepare people for this task? What are we doing to help people 
to be able to answer the difficult questions that come when you start talking about Jesus. So it's a two-handed challenge. Nobody gets to sit here and do nothing. Church leaders, what are we doing? But the biggest fear, I think, for most of us is that we'll fail. So I'm going to tell you a little story about failure. Years ago, uh, I worked at Margate, and a little call came over our radio, and it said this, there's a man slumped in a car. Uh, He doesn't look good. So it's my turn to go. So I shouted at Tom, my crewmate. We jumped in the car. It was only 250 metres around the corner to the Lido. We zoomed around there. I put a little flourish with a handbrake into the car park, slid the back end of the car out because, you know, I was a bit showy-offy. And then I saw it. I saw the car. There was four in the car park. The car was filled with a kind of a grey gas. And there was a pipe going from the back of the exhaust. It was a hose pipe, green, and it went into the window. And there was a man slumped against the window like that. So without hesitation, pulled up my bat and strike one, straight through the window. Very glad, because before now it bounced off and hit me in the face. Didn't like that. But this time, straight through. Up with the thing, opened the door, reen in, hands underneath, pulled him out onto the gravel. And I was thinking, what I was thinking was stupid. I was like, oh, I'm going to graze the back of his head. But anyway, down he goes like that. Tom, get the first aid kit now. First aid kit comes out. Um, mouth, mask, on, like this. Listen, one, two, three, four, five, six, nothing. Two breaths, chest compressions, boom, 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 boom. Two breaths, chest compressions, boom, boom, boom. On this went, chest compressions, breaths, chest compressions, breath, chest compressions, breath. Thankfully, the ambulance was there three or four minutes. Ambulance comes skidding into the car park, does a little flourish, back end, I'm thinking cheeky. <laughs> Out come two ambulance people I know. Age old, all right, boom, boom, in they go. Check, mm, not good, what's going on? No breathing, no pulse, bad, bad. Okay, keep doing what you're doing, right. Breaths, chest compressions, breaths, chest compressions. Out come the ambulance, big bag, in with a bit of needle here, in with a bit of that. Da da da, mm, nothing seems to be working. Okay, I'm still doing chest compressions, I'm getting out of breath. Bah, bah, bah. Right, lift him up onto the thing, onto the stretcher, into the back of the ambulance. Ambulance is going, Joel, we need you to keep doing that, all right? And I'm happy to do it because the ambulance people are busy enough doing the technical stuff I can't do. So chest compressions. And by now they've got a bag on, so I've got to do the breaths. And I'm not doing keeping in line because that hadn't come up before. And they were like, look, it's going to make it easier. Do this. So they did a special sort of massage thing instead, which does the same thing, but they don't teach it to members of the public. So they taught me, and I was fine. All the way to the hospital like this, really worn out, into the, into the A&E recess, rushed through, and then I got a breather because the A&E team took over. Three or four minutes pass. I'm still trying to get my best back. Think about what we're doing. Doctor comes out with a little vial of blood like that, puts it into a machine, machine spins around. <whistles> comes out and he goes, stop. 80% lack of oxygen. This gentleman is dead. i tell you the story for this. That gentleman did not die for lack of effort on any of our parts. We failed trying. We did not know if he could be saved or not. So we gave it a go. You do not know whether your friends, your co-workers, your family can be saved or not. That's not knowledge you have to hand. So ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, get your welcome mat out. And if you fail, at least fail trying. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.